everybody, and welcome back to another special edition of the Michael Deacon program. In a moment, Dr. Michael Shermer will join me here. He is the founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine, the host of the Science Salon podcast, and of course, presidential fellow at Chapman University, where he teaches Skepticism 101. For 18 years, he was a monthly columnist for Scientific American. He is also the author of multiple New York Times bestsellers. His latest book is Heavens on Earth, The Scientific Search for the Afterlife, Immortality, and Utopia. Let's bring him in. Doctor, are you alive out there? I am here. I am. I, my, my brain is uh, connected to uh, the ether. Fantastic. I do want to thank you very much for being a part of the program, and welcome back yet again. Yes, it's good to be back. I'm I'm one of your returning champions. I understand. Yes, you are a <laughs> you are a veteran here. That's for sure. <laughs> it's always a. So, what do you want to talk about? Oh, there's so much to talk about, Michael. And of course, yeah, I, I do want to say, are, are you ready for Halloween, Doctor? Yes, I'm going as a gecko, uh, and the reason is is because I have a four year old, and he and there's a whole series of cartoons and and toys around these uh, characters that dress up as animals, owls and, and cats and dogs and whatnot. So I'm a gecko. I was yeah, I was very curious to find out if Dr. Michael Shermer would actually be dressing up for Halloween this year. Well, I I have no problems with the willing suspension of disbelief for entertainment purposes only. I love it. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I don't make a big deal about there's no Santa Claus and. I, you know, I, I think, you know, which stories are great and I enjoyed the Harry Potter uh, stories and, you know, make believe fantasy literature, Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, it's all fun and, and worried about whether it's true or not is really not relevant in that case. It's a mistake I think a lot of atheists make. Um, when they, you know, actually both believers and atheists, both theists and atheists, when they deal with some biblical stories, for example, uh, the Noachian flood story or the, um, you know, the Moses with the, with the slave, you know, rescue, escaping with the slaves into the desert and, you know, so on. These, uh, you know, the, the, the fish story, um, uh, Jonah in the, in the great, the great fish or whale or whatever, you know, arguing about whether these things are true or not kind of misses the point of the story. These are myths with moral homilies, with meaning that, that are, you know, were written to deliver some kind of message to the people who are reading them. So I think you, you kind of miss out if you focus too much on, on the veracity of the story, either from a believer's perspective or a non-believer's perspective. Definitely, and I'm glad you got us started right away. But before we jump into all the juicy stuff, I do want you to just talk a little bit about yourself, Michael, and who you actually are. For those that are new out there, of course. Michael? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, oh, I'm so you're waiting for me. I, I, it, it sounded like the sentence was it was only halfway through. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh, no, you didn't get the message. I was sending my answer telepathically. Well, oh, no, I got so, it. Uh, so, so, so right there, you have a little bit of a sense of humor, maybe. Of course. Well, my my thing is, uh, you know, I'm sort of Mr. Skeptic. I, I publish Skeptic Magazine. 
I write uh, books that are, you know, they're science books, mostly in the social science and psychology and history areas. But really my focus, my, my thing is kind of the borderlands of science, the margins of science, the fringes of science, the, you know, science and pseudoscience, science and the paranormal, science and the supernatural. And that's what, you know, my magazine deals with, my books, my podcast, my, course that I teach at Chapman University. It's It's been kind of my main interest since I got into this whole business in the 80s and really going all the way back to when I was in college. I love the sciences more than anything, although I was religious and I got into studying uh, theology and the Bible and the Old Testament, New Testament and the life of Jesus and the writings of C.S. Lewis and so on when I was an undergraduate at Pepperdine. Uh, but really my passion was science. And, um, so that's kind of what I've, I've pursued my whole life, but I've always been more interested in, in the sort of the big questions on those margins. Like, you know, it, it, does God exist or not? Or science, the relationship of science and religion, you know, specifically like evolution and creationism, um, you know, those kinds of issues, um, that, that come up a lot in culture that are important. People obviously care about them. So, uh, my thing is just to figure out, well, what's true? Uh, you know, I, I'm not a dogmatist. I don't, um, you know, commit to a belief ahead of time. You know, I'm, I'm willing to change my mind. I've changed my mind about a lot of things, actually. Um, mostly political things like, um, you know, gun control or abortion or, you know, some of these hot button issues. I, I, I go back and forth on. I was a climate skeptic for a while. Now I'm, I'm not anymore. You know, I just, I'm willing to change my mind if the evidence and arguments can persuade me to do so. So that's, that's a little bit about me. I, I, I'm a cyclist. I, you know, lifelong cyclist. I started, co-started with three other guys, the transcontinental bicycle race across America that started LA to New York. And, you know, now basically it goes west coast, east coast. Still going on 30 plus years later. And I still ride my bike a couple hours a day. And, you know, it's kind of my, my recreation. Although I do listen to audiobooks. Uh, when I ride by myself and, and since I review books and I have a podcast about books, it's kind of working while, while I'm out cycling, which is kind of fun. And, uh, yeah, so it's all, it's all great. Understood. And what exactly was the catalyst for you, Michael, uh, to make you become, I guess, a full skeptic? Uh, well, it, it depends on the area. So as I said, for example, um, I was a climate skeptic through the eight, really through the 80s and 90s, mostly through the 90s. By the late 80s, uh, I, I had heard all the doomsday scenarios by climate scientists, but more more likely climate activists right. about, you know, the rainforests are going to all be gone and overpopulation is going to destroy the earth and billions of people are going to die of starvation and precious minerals and resources will all be gone by the 90s and the ozone hole. And, you know, they had a, just a litany of disaster. And I thought in the early 80s, I thought, oh, boy, this is really grim. Uh, but by the early 90s, I was thinking, you know what? None of that happened. So what's the deal here? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, it's not to, not to say there's not a problem now, but it's just that, you know, if you cry doomsday too much, like what's going on right now, actually, you know, I, I currently think climate change is real and mainly human caused and we should do something about it. But 
you know, we have time, we can do it. Uh, uh, you know, where our species is really good at solving problems. But, you know, in the 90s, I was skeptical about whether it was even real. And, uh, you know, and then by the mid 2000s or so, I, there had been enough evidence accumulating that I changed my mind about that. So, again, the skepticism de- just depends on the particular claim. As I mentioned, I was a born again evangelical Christian for seven years in the 70s, uh, in the 1970s. And then I, I, I dropped that. I changed my mind about that. I decided that I, I no longer believe that um and but but again it's not like i skepticism is a position you take where you just never believe anything right that's not true i believe all sorts of things uh, you know lots of i believe in the germ theory of disease and i believe hiv causes aids and i believe continents move around the earth and i believe in the big bang and that species evolved and uh you know i believe in love and morality and good and evil and and abs- uh, objective moral truths and you know, these are, you know, a list of things I believe, some, some of which you will, will agree with me, some of which you won't, some of which my scientist friends will agree with me, some of which they won't. So, um, you know, I'm just kind of, it depends on the particular claim about whether I believe it or not. Right on. And of course, there's another subject that is always a very hot subject and hot issue, especially here on this program. Anytime I bring up religion, Oh, that sets people off all the time. And I get the emails constantly from uh, newer listeners, of course, who don't understand uh, the program right away. But in terms of religion, what was it exactly for you uh, that made you think, well, this doesn't exactly add up. This story doesn't make sense. Uh, there must be something wrong. Did you have that moment, Michael? I did um, gradually, not an overnight uh, epiphany. The scales didn't fall from my eyes or whatever the equivalent of that would be for non-belief. Um, my conversion experience to becoming a believer was overnight, but, but the deconversion took a couple of years really. Mm. Uh, several factors. Um, when I was at Pepperdine, you know, it's a church of Christ school. Pretty much everybody there was uh, evangelical, born again Christian, you know, and, and including and the professors were mostly believers. Uh, you know, when you're in the bubble there, it, it all makes sense. It's internally consistent and logical and, and they have answers for everything. So it's like, okay, fine. But then I went to Cal State Fullerton to study experimental psychology in a graduate program. And, and no, and it, it's not a religious institution. No one was a believer. Maybe they were. It just never came up. And so first of all, I, I, I learned that, you know, you don't have to believe in God to be an engaged, happy person, moral person. Everybody I dealt with, you know, they were good people and, and it, it didn't really matter whether they were religious or not. Now, mind you, this was in the seventies before the whole, Religion thing became so polarizing in America, the whole atheism, theism, science and religion. Um, you know, it just didn't come up. It wasn't a big deal. And, uh, but then I also took courses in anthropology, social psychology, um, and comparative world religions. I went through my Joseph Campbell stage of looking at comparative. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Comparative mythology. Oh, I love that stage, by the way. Yeah, no, it's great. It's, it's great stuff. It's super interesting. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, you know, all of these people that believe different religions and, and worship different gods than I do, they seem just as convinced as I am that they're right. 
So what are the chances I got it right and they're all wrong? Or that um, that right or wrong is not quite the right way to look at it, that you know these are their faith traditions and this is what they believe because that's what they were raised to believe and mine is mine. And and they're just different. So it would depend very much on where you were born and how you were raised and so on. Not exclusively, of course, but but overwhelmingly that that, that shapes people's beliefs. And and then also studying psychology, you know, you're looking at personality and peer groups and parents and culture and all the things that affect behavior. I don't want to say determined behavior, but but heavily influenced behavior. You know, I, I could see that religion is uh, is a a, a, a factor or a thing you can study like any other factor in, hum, in the human condition as important, as interesting, but as no less cause than anything else. So, um, and then, you know, the problem of evil came up. I, I've always thought that was one of the more insurmountable ones for theists to answer the problem of evil and why, why bad things happen to good people. And then that happened to me, my girlfriend at the time at, at Pepperdine. And then later and she was in a car accident, broke her back, she paralyzed for life, still paralyzed, uh, paraplegic. Oh, that's unfortunate. Oh, it was a terrible, terrible oh, my. story. Yeah, no, it was several years of you know just really uh, unpleasant suffering for everybody, yeah. especially for her, of course. And and at the time, I wrote about this in the Believing Brain. At the time, I uh, I was kind of losing my religion, but you know just sort of hanging on a little bit in the back of my mind. Maybe there is. And then when this accident happened, and I'm in, in the uh, ER with her, and she's you know hanging upside down on this machine with. You know, all these tubes and stuff, right. broker back, can't move. And I'm like, okay. You know, pray. So I just sort of prayed a little bit, you know, like, come on. You know, this is a sweet, sweet woman. This is a really good person. I mean, there's no reason that something bad like this should have to happen to her. You know, but of course nothing happened. And it, I wasn't running an experiment. It wasn't a test. I was just felt so bad. I wanted to do something. And Michael, what year was this, by the way? No, this was 1979. Ah, Okay. Yeah. So by 1980, so I became a born again in 71. So by 1978, 79, I was kind of shading out. And by 1980, I'd pretty much given it up. Uh, she had given me a ichthus, you know, the little fish that, that, uh, Christians often wear that has the little Greek symbols inside the fish Correct. that stand for Jesus, Jesus Christ, son of God, savior. So this, again, back in the seventies, guys wore gold necklaces. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I did. And they uh, still do in New York, things. by the way. <laughs> oh, they do. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> And so I remember looking in the mirror going, you know, I, I don't really feel right about wearing this. I feel kind of hypocritical. I don't really believe this anymore. So I just took it off. Now, I didn't make a big deal about it. I didn't run around like an ex-smoker telling everybody they should stop smoking. Um, you know, I just kind of kept it to myself. I think my friends and, and relatives, family were actually kind of relieved because I was so evangelical about it. I, I kept witnessing to them all the time. And I think that they got tired of that. So when I quit talking about it, I think that was kind of pleasant for them. And But nothing really else changed. I just kind of focused on doing my science thing. And then in the 80s, I got I started studying the evolution-creationism debate because I always thought that was a super interesting uh, sort of conflict uh, that dealt with science and religion and politics and the public sphere and the private sphere. And, you know, I'm still interested in that. It's, you know, still ongoing. And uh, to me, that was one of the you know the great subjects. I, I've written quite a bit about that. I wrote a whole book called Why Darwin Matters about that. Anyway, so that um, you know those are the kinds of things that uh, that I think about. Yeah, very very interesting. And I do want to thank you for sharing that part. I don't think we've ever talked about that here on the show before. 
No, no. Yeah, we never got into that, but I do thank you for sharing that. And I also wanted your opinion on the popularity of the flat earth theory and why you think uh, so many people are, are still very much into this. And matter of fact, uh, Michael, just last week I had on a gentleman by the name of Lee Austin who wrote a book about the flat earth, but it is told uh, by Lucifer. What exactly are your first initial <laughs> thoughts when you hear that? That's really funny. Good old Lucifer. <laughs> well, yeah, the next issue of Skeptic actually um, is a is the cover story is the flat earthers. And we actually showed, we put the flat earth on the cover with a black, kind of a black background because the entire universe is in this dome, they think. And, you know, with the flat circular earth like a pizza. So um, now what's interesting about this, um, historically, this is not a new idea. It's been right. around for quite a while. I mean, going way back to the ancient Greeks, but it was debunked as early as the ancient Greeks who showed, for example, you could have a stick in the ground at high noon in one city in Egypt. This was an, uh, sorry, not a, yeah, yeah, that's right. I think it was on, along the Nile. Uh, and then a stick on the ground, like a hundred miles south uh, on the Nile. At the same time, and the and the one has no shadow, and the other one casts a shadow, and that tells us that it's curved. Okay, so anyway, that not to mention other things like the the, the shadow on the moon during eclipses is, is round, although the flat Earthers counter, but but yeah, we're, we're not claiming it's not round; it's round like a pizza, you know. It's uh, but you know, but so so, but it kind of died down in the by the late second half of the 20th century completely. And by the 90s, I think the Flatter Society, the last guy who headed it, died, and that was the end of that. And then it, just like two years ago, I remember when this happened on the on sort of in the Twitter sphere right. on social media, I think Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, tweeted about <laughs> it jokingly, but he provided a link, and then all of a sudden it just exploded on the scene, and I think Joe Rogan had one of these guys on, and then Joe Rogan had... McWeston, who is a great skeptic and debunker of like chemtrails and conspiracies like that. So he, he dove into the flat earthers and it turns out interestingly, they have a lot of arguments. I mean, if There's you're an astronomer and you think, well, I can debunk these guys, I'm not so sure because they're not making arguments that astronomers would make where you could have a rational conversation. They're, they're doing something different. And, uh, you know, like, for example, Neil deGrasse Tyson made a little video thing, and he, I think he was on the Colbert Report, one of those shows, where he did the mic drop, and it was hilarious. But the stuff he said about, like, the shadows on the moon and that sort of thing, that's not what they argue. So he didn't actually debunk – he didn't explain why they're wrong. He, he explained how we know the Earth is round – but that's not enough uh, because they say, yeah, the earth is round. Yeah, we know it's round. It's round like a pizza, flat round. You know, so they have counter arguments that, well, what if you're up at you know 70,000 feet in a, you know, U2 spy plane or something, you can see the curvature there. Oh, well, that's because the canopy, glass canopy is curved. So it bends the, uh, the curvature of the earth, that kind of thing. What about the uh, uh, photographs from space? or even from the moon. <laughs> and that's a little harder for them, although they, then they invoke conspiracy theories. And at this point, they're, they're down the rabbit hole. And, and uh, I, they, I, they don't have much credibility with me because the conspiracy would have to be so elaborate to fake all those photos, including the Russians and, and you know, and NASA, and, you know, so on. But it's an interesting cultural phenomenon that 
Um, there's a film on Netflix called Behind the Curve that I recommend people watch. It's very, very entertaining, but also interesting because the, the camera crew at the big conference, big flat earth conference, and it really gives you a feel for what motivates these people because you can see that they really have a sense that here in the halls of this hotel conference room, we have power. We know what's really going on. We have inside knowledge no one else has. And, he, and that kind of feels good to have that. And I could see the motivation there for some of these people. Yeah, I could I could almost see like that sort of like a drug for them, having this sort of forbidden knowledge of sorts. Forbidden knowledge. That's a perfect way to describe it. A lot of conspiracy theories are like that. I have a new course out on Audible and Amazon called Conspiracies and Conspiracy Theories. And it's 12, 12 lectures, 30 minutes a lecture. And uh, it was really interesting writing these lectures. And But but for most conspiracies, it, it, it is like that. It has to do with power and who has it, who doesn't, who thinks they have it and, and, and how to get it. And and then that kind of forbidden knowledge, like there's something out there that they they don't want us to know. And I'm going to find out. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's true. This is the thing about conspiracy theories that's different from other claims that there's a lot of real conspiracy theories in history. And I have a whole, a whole lecture, 30 minutes of just kind of going through all the kind of famous conspiracies that most people have heard of, you know, the assassination of Lincoln and Watergate and so on. Sure. But a lot of others that, you know, you don't really think about, like MK Ultra when yeah. the CIA was giving um, hallucinogenic drugs and other mind control techniques to citizens, uh, you know, Tuskegee experiments on African-Americans. Yeah, well, conspiracy theories and conspiracies in, ge in general are real. That's why people go to jail for them. That's right. Insider <laughs> trading is, is, a, is a conspiracy. Yeah. I mean, even this, you know, we're in, in the knee deep in impeachment talk now with Trump. Yes. You know, the whole the whole idea behind impeachment is this person has done something conspiratorially it, defined by, you know, two or more people concocting to gain uh, illegal or immoral advantage over others. So, you know, the accusation that he and, and his administration have done something illegal or immoral. That's what impeachment is about. Same thing that brought Nixon down. Um, you know, and it wasn't the, the break in that took Nixon down. It was the line about the break in sort of like when you get Al Capone on, uh, on tax fraud <laughs> instead of killing people, <laughs> you know, it's really the conspiracy that, that, that brings people down. But you know, all the, the WikiLeaks stuff, you know, and, uh, it's like, wait, we were doing what now we were listening to people's phone, you know, and, and this was not doing not just during the Bush administration, but during the Obama administration, Mr. Transparency. Yes. Uh, not, not so much. And, you know, his new book, I've been reading his, his memoir about this, this, this kind of, I forget what it's called, keystroke program or something that they use where they could actually take over your laptop or your computer screen and see oh, what yes. you're looking at. This has been going on since 98, 99. Uh, probably shouldn't be mentioning this, but there was a program called Sub 7. Most people out there who are into computer hacking and all sorts of stuff uh, are very much familiar with this. It's a, tro it's a Trojan horse or a rat tool, a remote uh, access tool, basically. And you could do uh, key loggers and basically turn on someone's uh, webcam and all this stuff you were able to do back in 97, 98, probably even sooner than that. I'm not quite sure. Amazing. It, it is pretty wild because, uh, Michael, I maybe might have experimented a time or two in my life. Maybe. 
<laughs> Maybe. Oh, really? Okay. Well, this is interesting. Tell us more. <laughs> well, I experimented a lot and played with lots of things during my high school years that uh, maybe led to some trouble. Maybe it didn't. Maybe I was able to get away with some things. We'll leave it at that. But these tools have <laughs> been around for a long time, and I've always been blown away with with what has evolved, uh, especially from the Alphabet Boys and what they are capable of doing now. Totally. I mean, when you see those pictures of Mark Zuckerberg with a little piece of duct tape over his laptop uh, camera, it's like, wait, if this guy can't protect himself, <laughs> what hope do the rest of his regular people have? It's a, very, it's a very interesting time that we live in. Yeah. It's been crazy. But, that, but back to the point, that's kind of a conspiracy. It you is. Know, they, they're not asking our permission for this ahead of time. Is it okay if we take over your computer and see what, what you're watching? No, no, it's not okay. Uh, you know, and all the stuff we were doing in South America – I t discussed this a little bit in the course, uh, uh, you know, supporting this dictator versus that dictator or supporting a more fascist regime against the communist regime. You know, we did a lot of that stuff that Christopher Hitchens wrote a book about um, Henry Kissinger as a war criminal. And I remember seeing that going, what? What's he talking about? War criminal. And then you, know, you read it and you go, wow, we were doing what again now? The CIA was propping up this dictator because, well, he's a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch against the other communist dictator. Whoa. And that's a kind of conspiracy. I mean, it's the kind of thing the American public didn't know about. Uh, you know, Congress didn't vote on it. You know, just uh, just the CIA and, and other agencies, NSA, and so on, involved in this conspiracy. Oh, yes, for lots of – well, not lots of for, – for many, many years, rather. They've been involved with all sorts of operations, the – Guns for drugs. It all goes back to. Yeah, Iran the, Contra. Yeah. There yeah. You that's go. another one. It all goes yeah. back to all these things. And it's been going on for such a long time. And I'm pretty sure it still continues today, Michael, to some extent. Well, it's for sure. I mean, I'll just talk about the Russians hacking the 2016 election in America. We can't allow this to happen. Well, we, we mess around with other people's elections all the time. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whether it's done overtly or covertly or whatever, I mean, of course we care about other people's elections. So when somebody does it to us, we act like, I'm shocked, I'm shocked. How could how could this happen? Well, it's, uh, welcome to the way Americans also operate. Yeah, we take it very personally when that happens to us, right? Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. uh, going back to the gentleman Lee Austin and the book, uh, Morning Stars Tell is the name of the book where he – goes into telling the story as Lucifer about the flat earth and uh, tricking individuals really. And as I was talking to him and mind you, I, I like Lee Austin, by the way, I'm not trying to pick on him here, but it reminds me of something I told him. And this just came up. It just popped up in my head when I was interviewing him. Um, he talks about the flat earth for those that are just joining in right now. And I was thinking, Hmm. That that's a pretty pretty far far away idea and concept. That's very original. I like the idea, really, to be honest with you. But then I thought, let me let me just dig a little bit further into this. And I asked him about Lucifer and what he thought about uh, this sort of character. And I asked him what characteristics he thinks of when you know he contemplates um, Satan or Lucifer. And, of course, he lists all the regular things people know of. And I told him, do you also believe in the Old and New Testament, every word? And he goes, of course. And I told him, can you point out where they've mentioned Lucifer or Satan uh, doing awful and horrible things? 
or mentioning him at all, really, for that matter. Yeah. And he was quiet. He had no answer. Yeah. yeah. Well, there is no answer to that question. Exactly. Uh, I mean, historically, you know, Satan and so on has a, a big role in the history of the religion, but not so much in the Bible. Yeah, I, I do think the, if there was a driving force behind the flat earthers, it, it's probably the kind of fundamentalist interpretation of what the Old Testament says, describing the heavens. And, you know, it's like a canopy, like a tent canopy over this flat earth. You know, some of that was adopted during the Babylonian um, captivity of the Jews, where they they kind of inculcated some of the Babylonian cosmology, which was this kind of flat earth with a dome over it, because that's what it looks like. I mean, if you got well, you're in the desert. You're out in the desert. Yeah. You've gotten them at, late at night. Most, mm-hmm. you know, city lights, you know, it looks like a dome of stars over your head that moves. <laughs> you know, I mean, intuitively, it makes perfect sense, uh, the flat earth model. You don't feel the earth move. You know, it's moving, it told, a thousand miles an hour. Well, if I throw something up in the air, wouldn't it go flying back because we're moving? And, you know, people forget that, you know, the ball is moving a thousand miles an hour along with you and everything else. So when you throw it up, it doesn't do anything beyond normal. But unless you know that, it, that doesn't make sense. I mean, this was an actual argument in ancient times. You know, if you shot a cannon straight up, the ball should be, you know, go flying backwards behind you. And anyway, that's, yeah. So that's, yes. there's a, there's a motivation there. I can see intuitively very, for sure. Very, very interesting. Uh, but yes, moving along here, I did want to ask you a little bit about Mr. Ben Shapiro. I was going to wait a little bit before I brought this up, but you're friends with Ben, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you know, we don't hang out socially, but I've met with him several times in person and, you know, we've hung out and talked a lot and emailed and he's a good guy. I really like him. Very sharp, very, uh, very smart, historically, uh, you know, pretty um, well read and the fastest talker that I've ever met. (laughs) I was going to say he's very quick on the draw, right? I mean, I actually assign my students uh, when we, we talk about, you know, different issues and how to discuss them in my skepticism class. Um, and when we get to abortion, you, you got to watch Ben Shapiro. I mean, if you think that the pro-life argument is that, well, they hate women, that's not their argument. You know, you got to listen to a real pro-lifer, somebody that has good arguments, and you'll see that that they're not that easy to debunk. You think the pro-life, the pro-choice position is the one and only one. It's the only rational one. And everything else is is crazy. No, not at all. Listen to Ben Shapiro make the argument, and, and, it, and he makes some pretty good arguments. He just posted one on Twitter here just a few minutes ago where somebody said a fetus is not a human being. He just posted a, a, a screenshot of the dictionary definition of a fetus, which says, you know, a, I could bring it up here. It's a human being. It's, it's a human being. Oh, okay. Let me find that here for you, Ben Shapiro. It's pretty funny. By the so way, he's pretty sharp. Yeah, yeah by the way, by the way, your class are are they woke, as they say? Um, well, I have first year students. I, I don't think they're terribly woke yet, uh, but they're getting there. They're getting there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, but I try to unwoke them before. <laughs> here, here it is. Fetus noun, uh, an unborn offspring of a mammal, in particular an unborn human baby, more than eight weeks after conception. Uh, this was in response to somebody's tweet, Dr. Jennifer Gunter, whoever that is. A fetus is not a baby. A fetus is not an unborn or a preborn baby or child. If your goal is to legislate medical care, you have to use medical terminology. I will fucking call you out each and every time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice, Jennifer, whoever Jennifer is. Let's see who this person is. Uh, this is a... Oh, she has a picture of a vagina on her on oh. her uh, Twitter feed. That's how nice. lovely. Well, it's it's a, it's a symbol of a vagina. <laughs> I love it. 
Oh, her book is oh, Jen Denter, MD, The Vagina Bible. Discover oh, okay, she has a book. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, she has a book, Discover the Vagenda. Vagenda, okay. Vagenda. Uh, her little tagline on Twitter is OBGYN, appropriately confident, lasso of truth, Canadian spice. I speak for no one but me. The Vagina Bible bestseller. Oh, my God. Jen Splaining, New York Times contributor. Okay, so. Exciting. Uh, she says, come for the sex, stay for the science. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ben, uh, yeah, so she's saying a fetus is not a baby, and Ben says, well, here's the definition of the word. Because you said you were supposed to use proper terms. Well, here's the proper term. Okay, well, you asked about Ben Shapiro. That's a good example. I mean, he's on top of these things. He's not an idiot. Uh, he makes really sharp uh, points. I, f I find it interesting um, when he speaks at colleges. For a while, I, I, I followed some of his live streams through that Young American Foundation that sponsors those college appearances by him and Dinesh D'Souza and a few others, conservatives. And, of course, they hype him up like snowflakes run for your dorms because Ben Shapiro is coming to campus. Of course, they, you know, they're hoping to generate some some media coverage, and that'll do it. That's also uh, fascinating to see that some of these figures, these media figures, have become so polarizing. And we'll, we'll jump into that in a, in a second here. But in terms of Ben Shapiro, is he really 5'3"? He's pretty short. He's shorter than me, and I'm 5'7", so I don't think he's 5'3". I think he's – no, no, he must be 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, he's not that short. He's not that Dave, short. Okay. No, Dave, Dave Rewin always makes a joke about, you know, I'm going to bring out Ben Shapiro. Actually, I have him right here in my pocket. You want to see him? Oh, that's cold. <laughs> kind of funny. No, he's not that true. I think I have pictures of me and him standing together, and he's just a little bit shorter than me. So I'd say five, 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 six. Yeah, in terms of Ben Shapiro, he's also been getting a lot of heat lately, especially this week. He got all gun hole in, in some video I saw. Someone sent me a clip of that. Um, do, you, do you mind if I play that for you? No, I, I'm not sure what you're talking about. So, yeah, bring it on. Yeah, I want I want your thoughts and reactions. Let's, let's hear Mr. Ben Shapiro and the clip that he's been getting some heat for lately. In other words, if you're a church, you're not infringing on anybody's rights. You're just saying you can't come here for your marriage. Go to the church down the street. You're a religious school. You're saying, listen, you want to learn about gay rights? Go to the public school down the street. Okay, you want to learn about gay rights? You can just go to that secular atheistic crossroads school in Santa Monica. Like, enjoy yourself. That's your problem. Go enjoy. Fine. You're not infringing on anybody. Your mere existence is an infringement, according to Beto O'Rourke. The institutional existence is an infringement on liberty, according to Beto O'Rourke. And you must be shut down. You want a culture war in this country? You damn well have it, Beto O'Rourke. You want a culture war in this country? You want this country to come apart at the seams? This is how you do it. Because I promise you, if you come to tell me that you're going to indoctrinate my kids in particular policy and that I can't pull my kid out of the school and send my kid to a school I want to send them to, that I can't go to the church or synagogue that I want to go to, and if you make that national policy, not just California policy where I can move, but national policy, people are not going to stand for that. They're not going to stand for that. And if you send a truant officer to remove my child, I have two choices at that point, right? If I have no place to move because you've now made this national federal policy, I now have two choices. One is to leave the country utterly. Two is to pick up a gun. Those are the only choices that you have left me. And now people are like, oh, this is how could you say stuff like that? How could you be so extreme? It's not extreme to defend the fundamental rights the Constitution was created in order to protect. These rights pre-exist government. My right to raise my child in my faith is my right. That is a First Amendment right. There is only one reason the government exists, to protect those rights, not invade those rights. It is my right to raise my child with the moral precept that I find to be beneficial for my child. Beto O'Rourke does not get to raise my child. And if he tries, I will meet him at the door with a gun. That is insane. That is insane. If he tries to remove my child from a home, and well, he's not suggesting that. Where do you think this goes? What do you? And that was Mr. Ooh. 
Ben Shapiro going to get his gun. Hot damn. Wow. Wow. Well, I, Amazing. I presume he's commenting on the um, the debate Monday night or uh, Tuesday night debate. Well, um, well and, and, but yeah. I didn't see what, what, what Beta O'Rourke said. I mean, the question is, if, if Beta heard that, Beta O'Rourke heard that, would he say, yes, that's what I'm arguing and that's a counter to it? Or would he go, wait a minute, I'm not claiming that we're going to come take your kid away or we're going to force indoctrinate your kid in, in public schools and you can't send your kid to private schools. I have no idea what his his position is on that. I, I haven't followed his campaign very closely. Do you, do you happen to know what, what I, he's really proposing? I really don't know. Just the listener sent me that clip. Um, I should have done my homework and, and looked well, further I, into I, it. But. I, you know, from what you played, I agree with Ben, of course. I mean, like even in my own examples I gave earlier, the teaching of creationism, I'm not against private schools teaching creationism. If you have a Christian school and you want to teach young earth creationism or old earth creationism or, or evolutionary creationism, or, you know, there's a whole bunch of different models. Go ahead, do whatever you want. The only conflict comes with public private sphere conflict. So in the case of public schools that are supported by tax dollars, the government has to be careful about not establishing a religion. So the First Amendment, you know, the, one of the, the key points there, the Establishment Clause, <coughs> can't prohibit the, ex, the free exercise thereof of religion, fine, but it also can't um, support or establish, help establish a religious position. That's why So it's the gray areas where it gets messy. messy. Should you have a should you allow somebody to put a cross up on a public highway where someone was killed? This is what usually happens. Now, for me, it's not a place where I want to draw the line in the sand and have a big battle about it. Technically, it's probably shouldn't be done, but it's so, you know, it's such a small thing. The ACLU, they sue over that, and or the Freedom from Religion Foundation, they, they sue over things like that. Um, now, what Ben's talking about, if it's true, yeah, well, that, you know, He's right. The American people would never go for that. Like, you can't send your kid to a, a, a private school if you don't like the public schools in your community. That, that of course, would never happen. Yeah, he's right about what he said. But in terms of the the whole gun thing, you know, Ben is quite self aware. He knows what he's saying. Do you think he, you know, he added that to sort of be a little bit over the top for shock value? Yeah, of course, and he's, a, he's a public <laughs> figure, and he has to make uh, you know, compete in the. That, that sort of media sphere of, of daily commentary. I, I swear, I don't know how he does his job. This is why I don't do that political commentary because you, you know you got to be on top of it every couple hours. Something happens and you got to get right on it and comment on it. And he does that relentlessly. He's on hours every day, and uh, I, I assume b b within you know half an hour of the debate Tuesday night, he was you know r ramping up his next day show. And I'm going out for a bike ride. So, you know, it's like some people are just geared up for that kind of stuff, and he's definitely into it. So you have to kind of ramp up the heat. You know, I mean, everybody knows this. this you know, Hannity does that. O'Reilly did that. Rush Limbaugh does this. You know, I listen to these guys um, just periodically to check in, see what, what they're on about. And, yeah, of course, they, they exaggerate. I'm going to get my gun, and I'm going to shoot. You know. Oh, boy. Uh, when know, does that become he, dangerous, though? I'll tell you when it becomes dangerous, like the other day in Texas where that um, cop shot that black woman who was in her house. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's a tragic case. Turns out she had a gun, and she heard a noise, so she ran and got her gun. And then she sees something at the window, the cop. You know, he's just looking in, and, and then she raises 
her gun. He raises his gun. He yells, you know, let me see your hands. And then he shoots her dead. You know, so here, this is just insane. You know, just everybody's armed to the teeth and ready and trigger happy. No good. This is, you know, this is a really serious problem. By the way, what Ben was responding to and reacting to was during CNN's town hall Thursday night, which focused on the rights of the LGBTQ. That's a lot of letters, by the way. O'Rourke uh, curiously advocating for forcing religious institutions to support gay marriage or lose their tax exempt status. Oh, that. That's yes, why okay. he went off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, that's a slightly different issue. Although, of course, I I would not agree that you know anybody should be forced to do anything. Right. But but tax exempt status that again is one of those kind of gray areas where you know we encourage people to make donations to nonprofit charities because it, it's good for the the nation and society that people do this and you give them a little incentive on their taxes. Now religions always had this tax free status since the beginning as a way of separating church and state. Um, because before that, and still in many European countries, the, the religions, they get state money. My wife's from Germany and in Germany, um, you know, she had to pay, uh, withholding taxes every paycheck to her religion, Catholicism, even though she wasn't even Catholic anymore. She actually had to, uh, had to opt out. She had to go down to the courthouse, fill out a form and officially quit church. So they oh, quit wow. taking money. Yeah. Okay. So they quit taking money out of your paycheck. Yeah. So Interesting. It's, it, it's an opt, it's an opt out program. They are taking money out of your paycheck once you start working and it goes to the religion that you were baptized in or raised in or, or whatever. That's your official religion. And to, and to untag that, you have to actually fill out a form and say, no, I don't want to do this anymore. And, uh, but so when America was founded, they said, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. No more money for, for religions. And, but, you know, if you want to donate to your local religion, fine, you're free to do that and you get a tax break for it. So that's how that started. And uh, again, some people like the Freedom from Religion Foundation and the ACLU, they, they balk at that. But, you know, once you start taking away tax exempt status for religions, well, what about like new age groups? Or the Red Cross, you know, or some of these groups that are just, you know, like manning soup kitchens. They're not really religious, but they're something, they're spiritual, they're whatever. Then you're going to get a mess of who gets it and who doesn't based on what, what criteria, based on how much they support LGBTQ rights. No, that, that's, that's not going to fly. That'll never happen. So yeah, the, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have a gun ready for you, Beta O'Rourke, if you come to my house. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's hyperbole. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I doubt, I, maybe Ben has a gun. I have no idea. I can't even that. imagine Ben Shapiro holding a gun. I know. If, if he shot a gun, probably knock him over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, and now this brings me to a much more serious issue with another pulverizing figure. That, of course, is one Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, I, I feel, you know, a lot of people have been asking me about Jordan Peterson. And, and to be honest with you, I feel very bad about what's been going on in his life. He's been going through the whole trials and tribulations sort of run. And he's got a very lovely family, it seems. And I feel terrible that, you know, Jordan Peterson actually had to go through all these things. And, of course, lots of people want to pile on uh, because he got addicted to the barbiturates there. And people really want to go at him. Yeah, it's a, it's public knowledge now. His wife has cancer. Yeah. She's, 
she's not out of the clear completely yet, but it's taken a positive turn recently. And he, to his credit, checked himself in before things went too far down the road off the path with his taking, well, I think it was some anti-anxiety, anti-depression drugs, um, which can be addictive, apparently, the, the one he was on. I'd never heard of it. But in any case, I, I, from the last I, I heard uh, a few days ago, he, it was, he was getting much better, and that's good. But, I mean, his whole point, though, is that life is hard, and shit happens, and you got to deal yeah. with it. And so it happened to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's actually happened to him a lot. It's kind of how he developed his sort of darker picture of the human condition. I mean, he's always had medical issues, physically, physical issues, dietary issues. His daughter has some weird autoimmune arthritis right. thing and, and, you know, and so on. It's like, okay, I can see why this guy has a slightly darker view than my, my view of life. Cause I, you know, by comparison, I've had a pretty rosy life. So, okay. Um, and, but, but so when it happens to him, I mean, why, why pile on? I mean, he's, yeah. just, a, he's just a dude trying to get through life, which is what he's telling people. And no different really in a way, although in a much more intellectual way than someone like a Tony Robbins, uh, who wants you to stand tall and work hard and set your goals and be all you can be and all that rah rah kind of self help stuff? It's really it's it's self help with a PhD. You know, it's a you know he's a pretty smart guy. Now I know Jordan fairly well. He's a good guy. He cares deeply about helping people. He really does. It's not a con. It's not a scam. In the same way that Deepak Chopra, who I also know very well, and uh, you know my science friend. Oh, he's a he's a con man, right? He's just no, no, he's not a con man. No, he's not. He really wants to help people. And he's doing it in the way he thinks it should be done. In Deepak's case, through this sort of westernized version of Buddhism. Uh, fine, that's not my thing. You know, I don't get much out of it personally. And Jordan's stories, they don't do much for me. I read his books and you know, just didn't do it for me. It's just not for me. But I can tell from the audiences. Yes, this is where that's where it gets fascinating for me when I see this sort of uh, fandom and sort of like they lots of his um, followers, they kind of see him like almost like a father figure as well. Yeah, I, I, I thought you were going to say like a guru cult leader, but no, I think father figure is yeah. the exact right description. I think people like that strong male uh, dominant, you know, be strong kind of guy that could, that does it for him. And, and so one theory about this, by the way, not from Jordan, but from, um, Jonathan Haidt and, and Greg Lukianoff in their book, The Coddling of the American Mind, not just them, but others is that they, the I Jenners, that the, the generation Z, the kids born after 1995 are, are kind of weak and coddled by these helicopter parenting and also the culture of safety. You know, every playground has a padded, you know, floor, and yes, you know, and so they've uh, everything that on the playground has been approved by lawyers. You know, it's like, oh my god, you know, dodgeball is banned now because it's, you know, it just goes on and on. Oh, it's by like, the way, we're forgetting ha- Halloween and trick or treating, which doesn't exist yes. anymore. Yes, exactly. Wow. <laughs> well, at least at Yale University. Yeah, and I know uh, Nicholas Christakis pretty well. He's the guy that was standing there in the quad at Yale with the students yelling at him for not telling them the proper Halloween costumes to wear. Okay, This is what Jordan <laughs> is pushing back against. Yes. He's saying, you know, you, this is if you be weak like that and, and you get uh, triggered and outraged by these little things, what's going to happen when you face real life? Where shit really happened, cancer happens, you know, deaths and accidents and, you know, cheating and, and fraud and all the things that bad things that can happen to you. You got to be strong. So his message is totally reasonable. 
And uh, again, I, you know, I read his books. I, you know, it just doesn't do it for me, but for a lot of people, oh boy, you know, they need the 12, yeah. I need 12 things I got to do. Okay. I got to make my bet. I got to get up. I'm going to shave. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to work out. You know, I don't know anyone who does any of those things. So when I do read his books <laughs> and talk to a lot of his followers, I'm a little bit confused by the whole, you know, father, a father figure type worship thing. Yeah, I think, um, well, I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, it's his views on truth and this sort of pragmatism stuff versus empiricism. And I don't know. I wrote an article on this, uh, have archetype will travel. You know, he's really into all the archetype stuff and Jung and yes. Freud and Dostoevsky and literature, you know, Russian novelists. And, you know, and, and again, it's part of that, I think, darker view of human nature. It's not that he's wrong. I just think it's not the only perspective on the human condition. And, uh, you know, we all have to deal with it in our, in our own way. There's a film coming out about his, about, about him, um, the rise of Jordan Peterson. Oh, wow. I'm going to a screening Monday night. It's been, it's been banned and blocked and protested in cities all over Canada and the United States. It's just insane. No one's seen the film. Okay. This is what's ridiculous that they're protesting it. But it's banned. It's, <laughs> the, the film is actually really well done, and and the to their credit, the filmmakers in, uh, interviewed a number of his critics, not not just the snowflakes screaming outside the lecture hall. They, of course, they interviewed them too, but more thoughtful ones, even some of his colleagues at the University of Toronto, who were like, you know what, this this has gone too far, and here's why I don't like what he's doing, and they just they just rattle off the problems with the Jordan Peterson phenomenon and it's in the film. So fascinating. Come on, you know, the guy's a phenomenon. Take a look, open your eyes, listen, be critical if you want, disagree with him if you want, but don't, you know, don't protest and ban it because you don't want anybody to even know he exists. It's just ridiculous. I don't, I don't find him on any of the same level as someone like a Milo. No, he's not like Milo. That's Milo's why I'm like, why is there so much resistance against Jordan Peterson, the Canadian guy who looks so nice and charming? Why why would you want to be so rude and nasty to this guy? Exactly. Yeah. No, he's not a racist, not a white supremacist. I don't see it at all. Yeah. No, he's not at all. No. Um, I mean, there are people that do that. Professional provocateurs, fine. Sure. You don't have, again, you don't have to invite them to your college campus, but this deplatforming thing, another thing that has to stop. I mean, you know, if you invite somebody, then stick with your invitation. Now, you don't have to invite Milo, so don't invite him. Okay. <laughs> so, but if you do, then, you know, you got to follow through. Uh, I mentioned, we were talking about Ben Shapiro. Yeah. I mentioned that, you know, he, he, he's had a few run-ins with protesters, but mostly, He's pretty well received. I've been amazed. If you actually watch a bunch of his campus presentations, it's mostly standing room only, uh, standing ovations at the beginning and the end, huge applauses. And he has to beg people to come to the front of the line that disagree with him, uh, to get some interesting contrast going. So the clip, the few clips you see that go viral online, Ben Shapiro on abortion, Ben Shapiro on immigration or whatever. No, those ben are the hot Shapiro, ones. There, but those are rare. Most of the questions are like, oh, Ben, you've changed my life. I've been listening to your show every day. Oh, my God. You know, my scales are on my eyes. I am now a conservative or whatever. There's a ton of those, but those never go viral. Oh, of course. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how the game's played. It's another form yeah. of mind control, especially the, the media is very good at doing that. Certain words, certain keywords do trigger different emotions, and uh, the media is quite good and equipped to do such things. 
Totally. Yeah, that's amazing. And by the way, as you're well aware, Michael, on this show, I talk to a ton of individuals who have made some very, very extraordinary claims, but their stories usually outweigh any of their evidence, Michael. And I, I got to be honest with you. And I try to remain an open-minded skeptic. Of course, um, a agnostic atheist, which for many people don't really like that, especially on this program. And I like to say I keep all the gods in my back pocket just in case, Michael. <laughs> just in case, <laughs> just in you, case. Never, you never know yeah uh I, i'm not keeping any in my back pocket i think if there is a deity and you know i wake up on, after closing my eyes and i wake up on this other land somewhere so uh, be it right that yeah then i i can't imagine a truly omniscient omnipotent omnibenevolent god who would punish me for not believing in him. what what difference does belief make i mean it's such a human emotion to have like i'm going to be jealous and angry if you don't believe in me what i mean that's i know people that have gotten over jealousy and the need to be you know worshipped come on that's this that's kind of very human it's very trait. human yeah it's very yeah. gross to have that sort of emotion for sure and of course relating to this i was going to tag on i'm not sure if you're fully aware of this or not but the last few years uh, ufos have come into the picture in the mainstream and i definitely wanted to get your opinion on all those sort of things if you have been following that is um oh yeah no i, I i'm i'm i love all the ufo stuff and i've been binge watching all the ancient aliens i gotta know what stuff, you think but... of of tom the long and to the stars academy oh yeah that well <laughs> yes. not much to be frank they they've kind of hyped it up because they got enough money and I, I, I get their press releases from their PR department, so I, I can see how they generate some media attention because they are very relentless about this. Very. But, but really, and I'll, I mentioned uh, Nick West and his, um, his book is called um, Escaping the Rabbit Hole. It's about conspiracy theories, but he has a whole section on UFOs. And more recently, he's been posting online. Nick West is his name on the on the, 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 the those videos that you see going around online that the to, to the Stars Academy has been hyping as these you know military made videos of aircraft that cannot possibly. Man-made, yeah, or, or even earthly, because um, you know they pull, they they accelerate and and move and change directions at such speeds that it would cause you know it'd be like a hundred g forces or whatever. You know, the body would just explode inside right. the canopy of the jet or whatever. But as Mick shows, that's not what's going on. The camera focus is changing very rapidly, so it makes the little thing that they're filming zoom across the screen really rapidly as the zoom and the camera moves at the same time. It makes it look like the little thing is zipping through the airspace at, you know, incredible speeds of, you know, thousands and thousands of miles an hour instantly. And, you know, this would kill any human pilot, but that's not what's going on. It's just an artifact of the, of the camera. And, you know, when you hear that, you go, Oh, so there's nothing to explain. It's an artifact of the camera. That's it. Yeah. And of course, they don't respond to that. I mean, he's put that out there and it's like the end of story as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, it's a perpetually fascinating subject because I think it touches the same emotions that religion does. Right. Is there somebody out there that knows we're here, cares about us, loves us, 
interact is can interact with us and so on. That's what we think of as God or gods and aliens are gods for atheists, deities for atheists, as I call them in, in, in the same kind of way. Yeah. Religion and UFOs, they all really do affect the same sort of group and individual for whatever reason. And to tag on to that on a side note here, well, not really a side note, but I have interviewed a man by the name of Mike Rogers multiple times. And he, of course, was the driver and witness to the Travis Walton abduction. And they also made the film A Fire in the Sky based on this sort of event. I'm sure you've seen the film or heard of it yeah, yeah, a, a number yeah. of times. Yes. Yeah, I know. I've, I've met Travis Walton. He came to my office actually one day for a f- filming for a TV show. Oh, interesting. And I, yeah. And I was on another set with him where it was a, one of these reality shows on, on the lie detector. Mm. So one of the episodes was they gave him a lie detector. Uh, and he volunteered to do it. He thought he'd pass. But he, and at the end of the show, he ended up failing. Wow. Uh, yeah. I'm going to have to. I think. I think he made it up. I think he, this is what we think the UFO people think. I mean, UFO skeptics think he, you know, he was late to finish his job and he just concocted the story. And it was probably not meant to be a big public thing. It's probably just, you know, just to get out of this job problem he was having. And, but then it, it became, took off and then he had to live, live the lie. I mean, that he had to call him a liar. I don't know for sure, but that's what I think. He asked me my opinion. I think he made it up. Uh, I don't think he was, you know, hallucinating. I don't think it was a, it wasn't the case of a, um, uh, hallucination in the middle of the night, a lucid dream or, um, you know, sleep paralysis. Like, you know, some of these cases that that's what it is, but I don't think so in his case. I think he just made it up. Very interesting. And of course, I'm going to be talking a little bit later. I think maybe next month, uh, to Mike Rogers again, but this time Travis Walton will be there. Oh, wow. Good. Well, tell him what I think and see what he says. I was, I mean, I'm uh, going to say, do you mind if I play a clip of what you just yeah, said on the show? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, he's a super nice guy. I really liked him. Okay, perfect. Um, and he's, he comes across as just very genuine and honest and, you know, sort of an aw shucks kind of guy. But that doesn't mean he, he, he couldn't have made it up. People make stuff up all the time. The older I get, the, the more uh, the, the more I recognize this as an explanation for a lot of weird things is that sometimes people just make stuff up. They do. Uh, it's called lying. It's called lying. <laughs> yes. And, uh, again, I hate to call Travis Walton a liar. Okay. I don't know. You know, maybe he was really abducted. He's the one and only one, you know, or that, you know, that his kind of story, but, yes. uh, but I doubt it. Very, very interesting take on that. And I can't wait to talk to both of them as okay. they both feel strongly that their case is the one that holds any weight. Everyone else's case is trash. In other words. That's their perspective. Yeah. So here, again, it, it would be wise to employ the skeptical uh, maxim that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Absolutely. Now, so if I describe to you, like yesterday, I, I drove down to L.A. from Santa Barbara and I took the uh, my street over to the 101 freeway and I went south on the 101 and I took the 23 up to the 118 freeway, the Ronald Reagan freeway, and I, I went to the 210 freeway. And right at that junction of the 118 and the 210 freeway, a bright light hovered over my car and I was abducted by aliens into the spacecraft. And then about 90 minutes later, they put me back in my car and I went back to my, and I went to my office. Now, you don't need 
any evidence for any of the stuff I described of like leaving my home, driving on the street to the 101, 101 south to the 23, 23 north to the 118. That's all kind of mundane, regular stuff. You don't demand a lot of evidence that I prove that that's what happened. But the moment I give you an extraordinary claim, you know, bright light, all of a sudden I was abducted, missing 90 minutes, you know, and so on. You're going to go, wait a minute, Shermer, hang on. Right. Now, for that particular part of the story, we're going to need extra evidence. So, uh, and again, I mean, this is how the police work. If I describe that and instead somewhere along the way I stopped and killed somebody, the police are going to want to know, okay, wait a minute, where were you? When did you get off? Let's look for the, um, you know, the street cameras to see if we can have a video of you getting off the freeway and exiting your car. You know, we want evidence for something unusual that happens. And I don't think Travis Walton's evidence is extraordinary. In fact, it's not even ordinary. And that's the problem he and other abductees have is, you know, most of them are worse than his case because it was, you know, sleep in my bed at night, three in the morning. Well, you know, you had a great dream. That's it. There's no evidence. No evidence. Yeah. So we need, you know, extraordinary evidence for extraordinary claims. It's just the principle of proportionality. Hume, Hume talked about this in his discussion of miracles. You know, what's more likely that the miracle happens, suspension of natural law, or that people misperceived what they think happened, or they made it up, or they exaggerated, or whatever. Any of those are more likely, because we have lots of experience of people misperceiving things, hallucinations, making stuff up, lying, exaggerating, tons and tons of evidence of that happening. No evidence that of the laws of nature being suspended. Yeah, see, this is why anytime I talk about some unusual experience I had, I always let the listeners know that I'm not exactly completely sold on any of these things. I'm sure there's a perfectly good explanation for a lot of the things that all of us experience that we will classify as quote unquote paranormal or that we felt something or we heard God in, in our heads. There are lots of uh, individuals out there that are like that as well. And that's sort of a pattern that I've seen from a lot of individuals that I talk to on this show I feel kind of bad for saying this, and I hope none of them take any personal offense, but I noticed after maybe five, six years of doing this, a lot of these people are under heavy doses of medication, lots of pharmaceuticals. Many of these people are definitely taking psychotropic drugs for sure, yeah. and yeah. this is probably a result of of all those things. A lot of these uh, individuals have that sort of um, thing going on with them, Michael. That's one of the many patterns that they have and traits that they share. Before you say something is out of this world, first make sure that it's not in this world. And there's a lot we still don't know about this world. So it's okay to say, I don't know. That's perfectly fine to say we don't know. And of course, going back to the Stars Academy, Michael, as everybody wants proof and evidence of every claim they have. Uh, last time I checked, they reportedly paid like 35 grand for quote unquote exotic metals. And do you remember Art Bell? Yeah, of course. The I was on a show a number of times. The late great Art Bell, they acquired these exotic metals from someone in, in his camp. And apparently after deeper examination, they found it to be really nothing. <laughs> and that, and that's their, that was their evidence that to the stars Academy Academy was overhyping. They said they have evidence of all these exotic materials. And then it turns out to be just trash. Yeah. Yeah. Trash. Well, maybe that's what it was. <laughs> it's I think it exotic. Was. Exotic yeah. trash. 
Very interesting. And of course, we will be wrapping up here in a moment. I don't want to take up too much of your time. But of course, I will feel remiss if I don't ask you about the NBA. The NBA, you mean the national, the, the basketball? Yes, China. Oh, that. Oh, my God. China. The Chinese yeah, well, NBA. Yeah, so much for Nikes. Uh, you know, you should pursue that. What is their little line about, with the cup or neck? You know, pursue your dreams no matter what the social consequences, unless it's China. <laughs> and we're you making know, a billion dollars. You know, it's interesting. The NFL and the NBA have both been. Uh, down in the ratings in the past couple of years, it's quite interesting to see both of these uh, top tier uh, companies really just face all sorts of um, scrutiny for for all sorts of uh, different reasons. Of course, the NFL, the whole kneeling of the national anthem did not yeah. help, and they still haven't recovered from that. No, they're uh, it's a perfect example of wokeness conflicting Woke. with your bottom, bottom line. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, well, they caved initially, but now they're getting, there's so much backlash. They have to come around. They have to do something now. So this will be interesting to see how this plays out. You know, LeBron James here in LA and, you know, he's a big star and, and all that. And, you know, he, he got nailed <laughs> for sure you know, hypocrisy and, you know, but to, to the credit of social media, sometimes it works well to get people to be consistent and not so hypocritical. And I think it worked in this case. Yes, sir. And Michael, I'm curious, do you have any new books in the works? Well, the, the, the latest project is that conspiracy course, which you listeners can just go to Audible or Amazon, type in my name and that conspiracy and that'll pop up. My next book comes out next April from Cambridge University Press. It's called Giving the Devil His Due. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so it's about free speech and nice. um, you know, and the free inquiry and supporting the devil. I mean, we have to give the devil his right to speak for our own safety sake. We sure do, and of course, I do want to also mention your podcast, Science Salon. I did hear your episode with Neil, and I thought it was amazing. Yeah, Neil, he's a he's a, he's a pretty special guy. I like yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead and, and plug anything you'd like, plug yeah, your so website and podcast. podcast yeah, yeah, it comes out every Tuesday, and my podcast focuses on nonfiction books, mostly science books, but history and philosophy books, and the and the guests are the authors. So it's it's kind of an interesting way. I actually read the books, so it's an interesting way for listeners to be introduced to a new book and decide if they want to read it or not, and also to give the author a chance to plug their book and talk about their book and get into depth. And I have... You know, it's not an interview. It's actually a conversation, and a lot of sometimes I disagree with them and I push back, and so it's all you know, it's all big fun. Yeah, that's the best way to do it. Instead of doing the whole typical interview that's kind of boring as shit, Michael, it's better to have like a conversation of sorts. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yes. Well, again, I do want to thank you for being a part of the program, and uh, we'll do this again in, in the near future, Michael. That sounds good. All right, Michael. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Mahalo. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. I was hearing my uh, microphone clip in and out there. That was unusual, but I'm glad it's working now. And I do want to thank all of you for spending some time with me here on this Thursday afternoon for those that are on the West Coast. And, of course, I do want to thank the Fringe FM and Deprogrammed Radio as well as WMLD out there in the Hudson Valley. do want to thank all of them out there. And don't forget, if you are a fan of this program, please make sure to go to patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And uh, you can actually sign up for some bonus 
content, and I swear it's it's worth it. There is some greasy stories that go on back there. Lots of stories that needed to be told, to be honest with you. And, of course, those who have donated, I really do appreciate you tremendously. Don't forget, patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. More content is out there. International listeners, thank you so much for your support as well. Stay safe, everybody, no matter where you are on this island earth. I'm Michael Deacon, and with that said, the world is a mysterious place. And life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody.